summer of 1980, Rachel's fake cousin Jared goes to a county fair across the state line and never comes back. It would take 36 years for Rachel's family to get answers, but it could only take 35. This is a fake case of Rachel's cousin Jared. Hello and welcome to our season two bonus episode. Thanks so much for coming back and thank you for sharing. This episode is dedicated to all the forensic genealogists out there working all these new types of cases that they've been assigned where we don't have an actual family member coming forward and asking for them to flesh out any missing holes in their family tree. So I want to give love this week to all the amazing genealogists that are literally starting from scratch and a list of Sensi Morgan hits. So we're going to go through like a thought experiment, I figured, just to show you how genealogists come up with a name, or at least an immediate family, for law enforcement to look into. And we're going to use my family as an example, but nothing's actually real here. I'm just going to make up the details and the names and whatever as I go along. So we're going to start by saying that my DNA profile is not part of the pool for law enforcement to get hits on. My mom's family lives in Arkansas, and she told me once about her nephew, Jared, who was 10 years younger than her. And in 1980, when Jared was 20 years old, he decided he was going to meet up with some friends at a county fair in Tulsa over in Oklahoma. He doesn't live there. He's about five hours away. So this is going to be just a weekend trip for Jared. But after the weekend, he never came home. My mom's family made a missing persons report. Police officers investigated on both sides of the state line. Interviews were done. Clues were investigated. Really no clues, actually, though. No one ever knew whatever happened to him, and his case went cold. And my mom's family and I are heartbroken. We don't know if he was killed. We don't know if he decided to live his, to leave his life. And we don't know if he had some kind of accident on the way home from the fair, because it's a five-hour drive. But we're going to put my family's story on the shelf for now. Okay. Now, there is a John Doe in, I don't know, let's just say Salisaw, Oklahoma. Sounds like a cool name, right? Population is under 10,000, and it's right by Interstate 40, which is the route that Jared would have driven back home to Arkansas after the fair in 1980. In 1985, someone finds remains of a man on the side of the road. No ID, no car, no other identifying information, just a dead body. So police did their best to find out who this man was, but they soon exhausted all avenues. Remember, this is 1985, and they came up with nothing. So they could do nothing but bury him in the local cemetery and hope that someday the mystery gets solved. So now here we are, and we're fast-forwarding all the way 35 years, and now we're in early 2020, and the day has finally come. There's this whole idea about finding people based on their family trees. And the Salisaw Police Department, or maybe it's the county sheriff's office, they have allocated the funds to dedicate to the Salisad John Doe case. And they send off a DNA sample to Acme DNA Company. And when they get the report, they send it off to Family Mapping Inc. Grant is a genealogist at Family Mapping Inc. And he is the guy that's going to work on the family tree to figure out who the heck this guy was that was found on the side of the road somewhere in Podoc, Oklahoma, 35 years ago. He gets the profile and uploads it into GenMatch. And there's hits. Awesome. There's a million hits. But they're not that good. Matches are like 
100 centimorgans, 59 centimorgans, 200 centimorgans. So what are we going to do? There's email addresses. That's great. So Grant or, I don't know, maybe the police detective assigned to the case, one of them is going to email the people with the highest numbers. So we've got like 100 or maybe 200. They're going to email them. Clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Hey, um, we're working on a John Doe case here in Oklahoma. Do you have any missing people in your family? Now, remembering that my mom and I share almost 4,000 centimorgans, we can tell that something like 100 or 200 centimorgans hit hits are like a very, very, very small match, right? The higher the centimorgans, the closer the bud line, and therefore more likely you're going to know that the man Grant is talking about actually existed and is missing. So unfortunately, it's very unlikely that this person that he's emailing knows anything about some guy in their bloodline going missing in Oklahoma or Arkansas even in 1980 or 1985 or 1978 or whatever that time was. And we saw this in the Lavender Doe case in episode four of season one. The aunt they found didn't know anything about Jane Doe's section of her extended family. They were like third cousins or something. I don't remember. But I mean, at least she did have a name or two that could, of some distant relatives she knew about to give to the police that maybe could help find them get closer to the relative that and figure out who Lavender Doe was. But in the end, the name she gave wasn't even a living person that the police could call. They had to use public records to find out about the person's life and then find a, a descendant of that person to get closer to who Lavender Doe was. Now, part of what Grant is going to have to do is compare the Salisad John Doe's matches against each other as well to figure out which matches match each other also and those that don't. This is going to help him figure out which of these hits belong to John Doe's mom's side and which belong to John Doe's dad's side. Because we can't get to John Doe, the real person, without getting his parents. And we can't get to his parents without getting to their parents. And so on and so on up the tree. Now, hopefully Grant gets at least one person on each side of John Doe's family to give him some names to research at least, right? We're going to work on one side just as an example. We'll call this match Olivia, keeping in mind that there's also another person on the other side. So Olivia's in her 40s, and she was just a little kid when this John Doe died. And Grant and Olivia know that this John Doe is not part of her immediate extended family because the Centimorgans are just too low for that. So she gives Grant a few older families' names to work with that are not on Chedmatch. And they aren't going to be there, remember, right? Because they're dead. So he's not getting the DNA profiles to check He's getting names of people, so he doesn't even know if these names are related to John Doe, actually. Because, remember, we're not sure if they're even blood-related. We just know they're family-related in the way that we live from day, they lived from day to day. He's going to have to flesh these people out. He's going to have to rely on public records about, to get all the info that he can about these people and see where they take him on this road to John Doe's grandparents, and then his parents, and then him. So the question is, is Olivia's mom's side and maybe John Doe's mom's side? Are those the two sides that came together? Or is it Olivia's dad's side and John's mom's side? And at what level did the families come together at all? Like, was it the great-great-grandparents that had met and then had their children and then so on and so forth? Or was it a generation before that and it was great-great-great-grandparents? Well, 
with the Sensi Morgan match that is as low as the one or 200 that Grant is working with, there's a lot of other people's DNA over the generations that are going to get mixed into that blood that creates Olivia and the blood that's going to create John. So it's really too bad that there isn't a Sensi Morgan hit that's much higher, like maybe 2,500 or even 1,000 on Gen Match, right? Because then Grant wouldn't have to go so far back in time before coming forward to the present day. So Grant digs in. He's searching public records, like birth certificates, death certificates, mentions of people in newspapers over the last 50, 60, 70 years. Public hits on social media about old-timey family names and conversations and memories. And Grant is doing this for every name that he finds that is somehow related to Olivia, hoping that it's the same branch of the family that's going to end up with John on it. And he's got to do this with the other person on the other side of the family that also gave Grant some names to work with. So Grant starts with Olivia's mom's mom, but she wasn't a match. Turns out her immediate family lived in Norway her whole life. So then Grant's going to try Olivia's mom's dad. And he finds out that he divorced the wife in Norway, right? And then he took the four kids with him to America for a whole new life. And then all the kids grew up, they got married themselves, and they had families. And Olivia was one of the babies in this next generation in the States. And she herself was one of four kids. But are any of these cousins more closely linked to John Doe than Olivia is? We don't know if they're on the same branch until we get in touch with and interview and speak with them directly. From what Grant can tell, aside from Olivia, they're all dead or not able to get in, or he's not able to get in touch with them. So he has, he doesn't really know where he's going there. So Grant can't find them to ask them more information about themselves and their immediate family trees. And he's still trying to figure out if he's on the correct family branch. The one that includes Salisaw John Doe. This whole time, it could be Olivia's dad's side. So he continues his search, and he finds another dead end, and, it is, and he does determine that John Doe is not related to Olivia's mom's mom or Olivia's mom's dad. So it's got to be through Olivia's dad's side of the family. Oh, but by the way, Grant is now six months in, and he's also trying to work the case from John Doe's other side of the family. Plus, this isn't Grant's only case. He has other family trees that he's helping with, and he's married himself. He's got kids. He's got other hobbies. His wife is making him watch Lost for the third time. Now it's July, and he's determined to perfect his weekend barbecue skills. <sighs> if only there was a higher Scenti Morgan hit on Jedmatch. Then he could cut out all these family tree branches that are not related to John Doe. I feel so bad for Grant. And Grant so badly wants to help John Doe. This man, found in 1985, has been waiting so long. And Grant imagines that this man's family has been waiting for 35 years, and they still have no way to find their son, brother, cousin, friend, nephew. His family is literally at the mercy of someone coming forward and being like, um, hello, I met your son that weekend back in 1980, and he told me that he hated Arkansas and was never going back. Or... Hey, I picked up your son as a hitchhiker and dropped him off in Missouri. I don't know anything about him after that. Or what about, um, I have a confession to make. I had to come clean. I'm a sex trafficker. Your son was was quite the looker back then, and I lured him in and sent him off to Columbia. What? I, we don't know. No, no one is calling John Doe's family after all these years to shed some light on what happened to him. And all the while, my mom's family, my family, 
is that family, but none of us know that the John Doe resting in some podunk town in Oklahoma is our Jared. It's 35 years later in 2020, and all us kids from back then have now grown up. We've moved out of state. My mom and some of her generation has moved too. Like Jared's parents, they moved on to Oregon in the early 2000s. His grandparents have died. We might all be connected to our immediate cousins, aunts, uncles on Facebook and stuff, maybe some weekly phone calls. But most of us in our family now, we're the ones who were the babies back in the 80s. And we don't remember much of him at all. My mom and Jared's dad, they have their health issues because it's been, like we said, 35 years later. And in this scenario, without the database changing, it's really going to take Grant like another nine or 12 months before he actually finds Jared's parents. And maybe at that point, his parents, my supposed aunt and uncle, they will have passed. And Grant will end up having to contact Jared's sister. But that might not be until 2021. So Jared's parents in this scenario, we'll never get the answers that they're hoping for. And Grant's workload, it's never stopping stopping. It keeps piling up. There's a million does out there, and just as many unsolved murders and other crimes that need solving. The requests just are overwhelming on the intake desk for Grant's company, and it took him just one year to solve one mystery by the time Jared's parents or my family was notified. And so imagine, there's just, there's got to be a better way. The search shouldn't have to take this long. So, Let's try this scenario. It's late 2019, and I, Rachel, I'm a thousand miles away from Oklahoma, but I do know that I have an older cousin that went missing in Arkansas back when I was just a toddler. And I come across this story about how they found the Golden State Killer. Who? What? Who? What? (laughs) Right, exactly. So I Google forensic genetic genealogy, because these are the words that I keep seeing in these articles. And after I figure out what the hell it's all about, I call up my mom and I say, Ma, hey, you and Uncle Carl need to put your DNA into this database, one of these public databases. It could help find Uncle Carl's son, Jared. No, no, mom, mom, no, don't worry. It's complicated. I will do the legwork. You just spit in the tube. It's fine but maybe we can get some answers. So mom agrees, mom takes a chance, mom puts her spit in, and then three months later, Grant at Family Mapping Inc. gets the Salisaw John Doe case in early 2020, and he sees my email attached to a hit for over 2,000 centimorgans. Boom. So he types out an email, he crosses his fingers, and hits send. And after dinner, all the way over in New York State, I check my email and I see this random message from some guy named Grant working for some company called Family Mapping Inc. And he says, hey, um, we're working on a John Doe case here at Oklahoma. Do you have any missing people in your family? Yes, that's my mom's profile you matched. We do, we do, we do. Hold on, let me call my mother. And the rest is history. Ah, So satisfying, isn't it? And that is why it's important to broaden the database. Now, of course, I'm only using this as an example. This is one specific example of how a a John or Jane Doe might end up getting their name back. For Jared, we'll just say it was an accident for Jared. We'll say, um, give him a nice nice ending. Maybe he did hitch a ride because his car broke down. Then he got off or left or didn't, whatever. He ended up in in town, but then he ended up all by himself on the county road. Maybe he did get hit by a car. 
I'm not sure. Maybe dragged himself into the woods, hoping that, you know, eventually someone was going to find him. But we don't know. We don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know what happened. But let's just say it wasn't a murder. It wasn't horrific. It wasn't all sorts of nasty. Because then that's going to be another investigation that needs to be conducted, which is what we have in so many John and Jane Doe cases. We won't give that to, we won't make that Jared's family go through that, my family. But um, when it comes to the John and Jane Doe's, so many of them are, are bodies that are left and found, um, and they are murder victims. And so once um, the DNA Doe Project or another genealogy site or organization, police department, do find out who that body is, the next step is to find out who killed them. Um, and that is actually ultimately, um, if I haven't mentioned it before, it's one of the reasons why I don't do a lot of Doe cases, because I want to have the resolution of the murder as well. And if we're just in, in 2019, 20, and 21 figuring out who the person is, and we still have clues from back in the day. Now we have to start going into that investigation for the murder. Um, we don't always have those answers. That's why I don't have a lot of information on a lot of, uh, a lot of doe cases because the whole, the whole kit and caboodle hasn't been fleshed out, but I'm still looking, of course, you know that. And that um, essentially is how it all works. So I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope it has shed a lot of light on the practice and how it is a much different way of investigating a crime or, you know, like, like we, we've talked about here, an un, unidentified body. Um, but the work is, um, so the work can be very, very tedious. It can be very extensive and it can take a very long time. Um, it can be frustrating at times, I'm sure, as well, because um, you hit the dead end and you don't know what, where to go next. And so we can broaden the database with as much fresh so to speak, fresh blood as possible, um, you know, we'll be able to um, solve a lot of these mysteries. So I hope you enjoyed the, all the information and the walkthrough. And I really appreciate you um, listening, of course, and, and sharing. If you have any crazy family tree stories, uh, send me an email, the ties at find at gmail.com um, or through the website, even um, definitely send them over. And um, with your permission, I'd like to read them during an episode. That would be awesome. And with that, I think we will call it good for how genetic genealogy works and I will see you next week.